G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Are children becoming the new battleground for free speech and religious freedom? Well, there's a headline in Queensland this week. It reads, Jesus Unwelcome in Schoolyard Crackdown. Now, it appears to mean that talking about Jesus exchanging Christmas cards and encouraging Christianity are being targeted under an unofficial policy from education bureaucrats that takes aim at children who are sharing their faith in Queensland primary school yards. Now, the children are referred to, interestingly, as junior evangelists. Queensland education officials have moved to ban references to Jesus in the primary school yard with an unofficial policy that takes aim at junior evangelists. Should we be alarmed at this? Well, of recent times, Christian groups and free speech advocates have expressed alarm at the latest review into religious instruction materials and warning that principals were expected to take action against students caught evangelizing to their peers. Well, let's seek some insight into what is happening in schools and we'll talk about the state of Queensland but also other states who are in the middle of all of this and I'm thinking particularly of Victoria but New South Wales, its own issues when it comes to these sorts of things. Special guest through this coming hour, Peter Curty, who is a researcher with the Centre for Independent Studies. His expertise is in religion and values in civil society, law and religious freedom and ethics. He coordinates a program that examines the implications of a liberal approach to religion in civil society and investigates the capacity of that society to maintain freedom for expression of religious values. Well, Peter's an ordained minister in the Anglican Church. He's also an adjunct research fellow at the Australian Centre for Christianity and Culture and a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. So a special welcome along to 2020 to you, Peter Curdy. Thank you, Neil. Great to be with you this morning. Peter, let me just start with a, a fairly bold statement and get your reaction. Are children the next targets of those wanting to silence the Christian voice? What are your thoughts? Well, I certainly think children are being used as weapons in a war. I'm not sure that we, they are necessarily the targets, although they could be, but they are certainly being used as weapons in a war that's being waged against religion, and particularly Christianity uh, in, our, in our secular society. Now, I should say, right at the beginning, there was an article yesterday in the Courier-Mail where the minister uh, in question here, the education minister in Queensland, Kate Jones, uh, says there have been no changes to religious instruction policy in Queensland schools. Uh, so she's distancing herself from this latest controversy. Is, is that enough, though? What are your thoughts? 
Well, she did accept the report from the department where the where these this advice was set down. So it, it does sound as though the minister is trying to distance herself, having seen what a, an embarrassing move it's been for her and for the government. But the as far as I understand it, the report still stands. Um, and so the advice to school principals still stands. And interestingly, Peter, when you've got a circumstance where there's unofficial policy, I mean, uh, this is the sort of thing that uh, really you know gets out of hand because there are no parameters. There are nothing. There's nothing there for you to really examine and and be a, a critic of. Uh, what are your thoughts when you when you hear things like there's an unofficial policy and and uh, principals are expected to take this sort of action or that? Uh, is it unofficial? Is it's pretty serious, isn't it? I think it is serious, uh, and I think it's also going to impose a completely unreasonable burden on principals and school teachers who are now in some way supposed to police what kids talk about in the schoolyard. And the idea that uh, children who might have been in special religious instruction classes can't then go out and talk about what they learned if they're asked about it, for example, or they just want to share something new that they've learned with friends who are not in in the class that now counts as evangelizing and teachers are expected to put a stop to that and all in the name of uh, creating a safe supportive and inclusive environment it's anything but when we talk about issues of freedom of speech we don't usually think of the schoolyard but when you see an article like we're talking about today is this an attack on freedom of speech i think it is I think it's an attack on freedom of speech and an attack on freedom of religion. And children are protected under conventions that are part of, that have been uh, adopted by Australia, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child in Article 14, expressly um, prohibits uh, the, um, religious dis- discrimination on religious grounds and protects freedom of thought. That's for children. Children should be free to uh, express themselves and to uh, to uh, uh, adopt and practice religious beliefs themselves without any kind of discrimination against them. That's a UN convention that Australia has signed up to. And this is, while we're talking about uh, a circumstance, a headline uh, that deals with Queensland, the state of Queensland, Queensland education policies, uh, these sorts of things are not new for other states. And I I was thinking of Victoria. You're based in Sydney, so you might be across uh, all of the things that are happening around the country. Uh, But is this something that is is deepening in Queensland that's not been there in other states? Uh, What are your thoughts on, on what's happening comparatively between the states? I think it's part of a broader trend that we're seeing happening in other places. And you've mentioned Victoria, which I have to say from those of us who live in Sydney, is a, gives rise to particular concern. Uh, and this was with particular with regard to the safe schools movement, uh, which tried to foist a particular ideological line on, on schools and on children, on very, often very young children. And when I said earlier that children are being used in, in, in a war, I think the Safe Schools campaign was another manifestation of that war. We're using children um, and exploiting their, their supposed vulnerability in order to make broader, harder ideological points. And the, the ultimate aim is to drive religion and particular to drive Christianity completely out of public debate and the public sphere. Anything to do with any public manifestation of Christianity. That's the, that's the objective, to create a thoroughly secular society, a thoroughly secular state. 
Um, and I think that's something that, that all religious people, but particularly Christians at the moment, need to be vigilant about. And is there something, when we talk about uh, Labor governments or coalition governments, it certainly appears that the Labor governments are much, much harder on this. They want to marginalise Christianity and take it out of the classroom. Is that a fair enough approach? I think broadly that is true, but coalition governments also come under pressure where they have seats that might be vulnerable to uh, to the Labour Party or to the Greens. Politicians will find that they have to perhaps temper their views in order not to alienate voters, to keep people in support, uh, to keep the support of voters. Um, I think they come under pressure from the media as well and um, can get grilled in a way that makes them uncomfortable and draws attention to possible divisions that open up within the party. So I don't think coalition governments are immune to this kind of thing, but certainly it seems to be that it's governments of the left that do the driving. So in the, the Andrews government in, uh, in Victoria was behind the safe schools or supported the safe schools uh, program. We see on another matter, touching on something that you were talking about earlier with Bill Muhlenberg, uh, the move in Victoria... Um, on voluntary euthanasia, we're seeing it's, it's often it seems to be to be that Labour governments are the ones that challenge the the Judeo-Christian principles on which our society uh, is founded. And of course, the things that drive uh, this idea, because sometimes we could talk about uh, simply political principles, left and right, uh, but when you've got uh, these issues that deal with faith, uh, this can be across all uh, levels of or even different sides or uh, people in, in the government, uh, whether where, whereabouts they might be on a political spectrum, uh, because uh, this sort of uh, uh, faith ideology or uh, a rise in uh, this militant atheistic secularism, this really, it, it takes no favourites. It can be expressed on all sides of government, can't it? Yes, it can. And I think that there is often a move to ensure that faith-based voices are silenced so that Christianity, for example, is no longer seen as, being having, as having anything useful to contribute to debates about public policy. Uh, and I think all, Christians on all sides of politics find themselves under pressure about this. Um, they may find that they have to conform or it can set them apart from what their colleagues are espousing or even what the official party line is. But it seems when increasingly the case when Christians want to affirm the, the, the standard principles of Christian life. And of course, we know that Christians disagree amongst themselves about just how those principles are expressed. But, you know, most Christians understand what we mean when we talk about the standard principles of Christian life. When they want to uphold those, they can find it's actually very difficult to do so. If we're talking solutions and ways that you can bounce back, uh, fight back uh, to these things that are trying to marginalise Christian faith and even in the schoolyard, what sort of things do you think about as uh, as ways forward? Is there a weakness that's happening within the Christian church and uh, not even being denominational in all of that? Uh, let's just say all Christians. There are a weakness there that you can identify, Peter, that needs to be adjusted if there's going to be some sort of way of combat combating this move towards marginalizing the church? Yes, I think there are a number of things. It's a very good question. I, I think Christians need to gird up their loins, and we need to muster a spirit of fearlessness and conviction and feel confident that what we're speaking about 
is goes to the very heart of our faith and to our calling as Christians. So I think fearlessness is actually a very important, um, a very important part of our response. I think the work that that Christian media does, programs such as yours, is a very important part of giving expression to to um, to Christian points of view, and that I think can galvanise other Christians who might well feel rather isolated uh, in their own lives. Churches could make more of a, a, a stand themselves, and to and and be more uh, uh, be be less be, be more I was going to say more unequivocal, as it were, about stating what is actually of importance to them. I think Christians just need to not feel cowed by popular culture and by the by the moves in, in contemporary society that would push religion to the margins. We have to push back. Uh, let me ask you, because when you mention uh, programs like this one, 2020, and uh, we take the opportunity to air these sorts of issues, uh, we take listener calls, talkback radio, which is a very, very powerful tool. And I love uh, your thoughts on galvanising uh, Christians who might feel isolated and recognising that they're not alone in the views that they, in fact, identify with. But the idea of going beyond the talkback opportunity on a Christian station like ours uh, the idea of uh, taking that time to engage with talkback radio in secular radio that's uh, that's something that would actually uh, enable uh, something of a christian view to to come out and uh, come to the surface wouldn't it peter i think it it would and i think secular radio I've, i mean i did a, a, an interview with um, a commercial station in perth yesterday on this topic 6pr I think, and there the 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 the, uh, the radio the program host Gareth uh, Parker was quite clear that he wasn't a particularly committed Christian himself, but there was an awareness that what was going on in Queensland was an affront to Christians and an, in a way an affront to the standards of our and principles of our society. So I think there's a lot of sympathy in secular media for uh, for positions that seem to go against what even might just be called in the broadest terms the Australian way of life. And it's interestingly uh, the the case where a lot of uh, talkback hosts uh, do hold conservative views and uh, you can think of some of the biggest names in radio and uh, we won't talk about them specifically but uh, a lot of them do hold uh, conservative positions and perhaps that's conservative politically, conservative socially and yet there still seems to be this steamrollering through the political system uh, that even though the views of a nation may well actually oftentimes, particularly with talkback radio, lean conservatively, perhaps it's different uh, on some of the popular television uh, programs uh, that are uh, very progressive leaning, uh, but there is a sense, isn't there, that, uh, that the political process still appears to be steamrollering over the Christian ethic. I wonder if that's a lot to do with the kind of um, people who find their way into the public service and the way in which their own intellectual lives and their ideological frameworks have been formed. So the people who go into public service have a particular view of the way in which government should function and the role that government should take. I mean, you'd have to think that a bureaucrat who uh, would think that the state needed to have some sort of complete control of people's lives um, would be the sort of person who would draft a proposal that's been put forward in Queensland. I mean, I mean it's just, it just seems very odd that anyone could realistically expect uh, that teachers, as we said uh, earlier on, that teachers and principals could enforce this sorts of policy. But somebody who really does believe in the power of the state 
to control every aspect of our lives, would think it was probably quite a reasonable and sensible policy move to make. I think one of the things that talkback radio can bring out is is the foolishness of those sorts of positions. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Peter Curdy is our guest. He's researcher with the Centre for Independent Studies. We're talking about headlines in the state of Queensland and the idea that children might be junior evangelists and a crackdown on anything to do with Christianity in the schoolyard and things like passing on Christmas cards that might have a reference to Jesus or sharing with uh, your good friend some jewellery that might have a reference to Jesus. The idea of what happens when it comes up to Christmas time of making Christmas decorations and, and passing on those to friends. You might have your own thoughts. 1-800-316-316. Uh, you'll be welcome to join our conversation. Uh, Peter, let's take some calls. Let's first of all hear from Gary in Queensland. Uh, no, we don't have got Gary. Let's hear Robin in Longreach. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Thank you. Uh, Robin, what are your thoughts on our conversation today? Well, I really like that it's... I'm really happy that it's being aired and discussed so sensibly. Um, I have a couple of points. The first one that the doctor's already mentioned is the discrimination. There's an Anti-Discrimination Act in Australia and uh, the, crim- the Criminal Code. I don't know exactly which number it is in the Criminal Code, but there's a, uh, there is provision... Um, for anti-discrimination for these children and so if their parents take it on if this happens that would be great and the other thing is I'm hoping that it's going to be a bit of a toothless tiger because who's going to charge a child Uh, that's an interesting if it does get in if it the silliness continues and it does get into court who is actually going to charge a child and and what court is going to take that seriously well, what an interesting perspective. Uh, some thoughts from Peter Curdy. Uh, thanks, Robin. That's a really good question. I think you're right. It's unlikely we'll ever see anything come to court about this. Um, but the principle of anti-discrimination which you raised is an important one because even to have a policy in place which requires a principal or a teacher to check any kind of conversation about religion or particularly about Christianity in the schoolyard does amount to a discriminatory act, in my view, um, uh, on the grounds of religion. And it would be, I think, certainly open to people to complain about such a policy if it were ever introduced and and enforced. But I think you're right, it's unlikely ever to to go to court. But in a sense, conversations like the ones that we're having now bring out the the, the foolishness of of introducing such a policy in the first place. Um, that it, and in particular because they, it's singling out Jesus, it's singling out Christians. There doesn't seem to be a prohibition against uh, a, a Jewish student talking about Moses or uh, a Muslim student talking about the Prophet Muhammad or talking about any of the Muslim festivals throughout the year. It's specifically Christianity, it's specifically Jesus. And to single people out on those grounds alone, I think, is a discriminatory act. Uh, Robin, let me ask you, uh, Robin, uh, you're in Longreach, you're in a country town in Queensland. If you heard that there were these sorts of crackdowns happening uh, in the school that uh, you might have children in, uh, would you be the sort of parent who would actually pick the phone up and, and say something to the principal? Absolutely. 
and your encouragement to other parents, perhaps uh, not to be backward, because uh, I, I detect that you are a little bit of a courageous uh, person, uh, just the fact that you've called us and you've raised those points. Uh, the idea of having courage as a parent to actually express your views about your values and making sure the principal knows them. Absolutely. Well, we just have to read the scripture, don't we, that say it's not between flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Yeah. Well, you know, Robin? It's, yeah. Yep. Uh, thank you so much for your insight today and uh, for uh, great questions. Uh, Robin from Longreach. Uh, let's take a call. Graham is in Sydney. Hello, Graham. Welcome along. Oh, hi, hi, Peter and Neil. Thank you for this discussion. Uh, I find a bit of an, a, 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 an irony about the whole situation. If one Googles in uh, the most significant person in world history, you come up with Jesus on most occasions. And the other interesting thing is when you look at education and the Labor Party here in Australia, they were all started by people of the Christian faith. So I'm just interested to see um, the doctor's views on how do the people who make these decisions, how can we educate them to know that the reality of where they're at at the moment is because of our Christian um, heritage? Peter Curdy. Graham, that's a very good question, and it's an important question, because I think it's extremely unfashionable these days to uh, trace the roots of our, Christ of our Western civilization to Christianity, and there's a big resistance against doing that. But in, in so many dimensions, so many aspects of our, of our civilization and our society are grounded in Christian principles, the notion of the individual, for example, um, and individual responsibility and individual free will all come from Christianity. And one doesn't have to be a practicing Christian to understand the way in which those, the, the, the important way in which those principles work their way out in, in our society, in our system of law, um, in our systems of government. It's, a, it's very important for the Christian roots of Western civilization, or the Judeo-Christian roots, because we use both books of the Bible, um, for the Judeo-Christian roots of, Christi of Western civilization to be identified. But there's a lot of pushback against doing so, and it's regarded by many as being, uh, as being imperialistic or colonialist. Um, but that's a nonsense, because as you've rightly said, um, our forebears in, in political life in this country all had, for the most part, uh, or many, many, many of them had a, a, a Christian root. Uh, Graham. Yes. Did you have anything more to add? Uh, no, I, I, I just agree with the, the doctor. I think that the reality of it is, is when you go back through um, the benevolent societies, charities, and uh, so many areas of our institutions that we have in Australia, so many of them have come from people with a Christian uh, a base, and also people in industry and in commerce as well have had um, great impact on, on, um, on Australia because of their, their Christian belief system. And uh, it has, I believe, um, added greatly to this great nation of Australia. And if I can add a point there, Graham, to what you've just said, many of the, um, the prominent faith-based organisations in our society provide essential services in health and education, aged care, other forms of welfare provision. They provide those services to all Australians, regardless of their faith background. But 
try to exclude or close those down or remove the, 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 uh, or restrict the practice of faith-based organizations, to try to do that will have a very, very big impact on, on the well-being of every Australian. We, we underestimate the impact that Christianity in particular has had on our society when we ignore the importance of the schools and the hospitals and the aged care facilities that are founded and practiced in the name of Christianity. Thank you so much to Graham from Sydney. We are taking calls 1-800-316-316, which is about 90 seconds out from news. We might take some more calls uh, after the news. We certainly will take some more calls after the news. Just very quickly, though, Peter, this idea of uh, revisionism of history, uh, this seems to be going along with this sort of anti-Christian sentiment uh, that everything we talk about from a Christian past has to be somehow or other minimised. Uh, your thoughts just quickly on the idea of revisionism and the, the way we need to resist that? Well, I think we've been caught up with the idea that Christianity equals colonialism and that Western civilization equals imperialism and oppression, and that needs to be corrected. It's simply untrue. And the, 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 the principles of life that we, that we depend upon in this country, that we, assume, we take for granted, have their roots in Christianity. Um, and to try to ignore that or to rewrite it is simply uh, a travesty of, 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 of history. Uh, let's continue to take some calls. Let's first of all hear from Ray in Jeeveston in Tasmania. Hello, Ray. Welcome along. Uh, good morning, Peter and Neil. Good morning, Ray. Um, I just want to quote for you because I think I've never heard it on Vision or any mainstream media that the crisis for Australia is at the foundational communications level. I'm, I just want to quote for you Section 15 of the Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities Act 2006, Section 15, this is in Victoria. It has three sections. The first section deals with every person has the right to hold an opinion without interference. That's a categorical statement. Section 2, every person has the right to freedom of expression, which includes the freedom to seek, receive and impart information and ideas of all kinds, whether within or outside of Victoria, and whether oral, written, print, any, any way of art in any other medium chose by him or her. Now, those two sections are absolute, but then section three just completely destroys the first two sections because it says that it, this can be overridden for national security, public order, or public health, or public morality. Now, I've had cause, without going into detail, before a court, and they use the public order section so that as a Christian, because you're part of a group that they see not only as a person with a disease, but a disease itself that has to be eradicated, they use that to rule against you because they say that if you stand up in public without violating anybody else, you're non-violent, you're not aggressive or anything, it doesn't matter. Because if someone is offended then and they act badly, then you're responsible. This is the way they're ruling. So they have stripped you, us, of even the right to communicate. You can't access Sections 1 and 2 unless you're part of a group they approve of. Ray, really good, strong points you're making there. Response from Peter Curti. Yes, I think there are some interesting points there, Ray. Thank you. The, 
you're right to point to the to to the various legal provisions that operate in Victoria. In most, in every state in in this country, um, there are similar anti-discrimination provisions that allow or that uh, that uphold uh, a right to be freed from discrimination on a number of grounds. I think that when uh, if if public order or or public health, um, if if those sorts of grounds are used to try to quell religious expression, ordinary innocent religious expression, then we've, we've got something serious going on. The, the problem, I think, often is that when, for example, in Queensland, when the, the department in its guidelines says what it wants to do is uphold a safe and supportive and inclusive environment for children, what they're doing is actually playing on Australians' fundamental sense of decency. And we, none of us want to see a, an environment that's not safe or unsupportive or exclusive. Um, if we're led to believe that by allowing children to talk about Jesus in the schoolyard, we're somehow undermining, if we're, if we're led to believe or we're told that it undermines um, uh, public order, that's a, in a way exploiting our sense of, our sense of decency, because we know it doesn't make sense to say that. We know it's perfectly innocuous for children to talk amongst themselves about things that they've learned in class, but we don't want to be seen to be, uh, to be behaving in a way that could be you know, considered to contravene the standards of decency that most of us go about upholding in our daily lives. Uh, so I think those are the sorts of questions that do have to be called out and, and quite clearly and quite consistently. Ray from Jeevston in Tasmania, thanks so much for your input today. A good point made and a great response there from our special guest this hour, Peter Curty. Let's take another call, Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Good morning, Neil. Yeah, I just think I was listening to Andrea on Wednesday and I think she should get together with all the church leaders and uh, get them all to take off their big girls' blouses. I mean, um, these guys, uh, they're very silent on this issue. Um, if someone had said you can't speak about Muhammad or Buddha, I think the church leaders would be in total support of them uh, instead of, you know, standing up for Jesus. Um, in fact, I think all the church leaders and, uh, should get together and call for a total ban on uh, non um Christian immigration, um, because um, this is the cause, I think, behind it. At the end of the day, it's because of um, not multiculturalism, but multi-faith that uh, everyone is getting offended. So, you know, I think um, we really have to, you know, God gave this mandate in the Bible when when the Jews, um, you know, captured everybody or went to war. They killed all the enemies for only one reason, so that they would not follow the false gods of the uh, the, people they had uh, defeated. So... Uh, it's a biblical thing, you know, to call for just total Christian immigration and, and keep the country Christian. Mm. Uh, just uh, referring back to, you mentioned uh, Andrea Williams, the barrister from the UK who specialises in religious freedom rights. Right. And uh, But your response uh, to what Chris is sharing there, Peter Curdy? Well, I, Chris, I don't think that the this sort of move that we're seeing in Queensland or the move that we're seeing against uh, against religion and particularly Christianity in Victoria with the safe schools um, uh, policy is actually being driven by multiculturalism. I think it's being driven by a desire to, to, to push religion altogether out of um, out of public life so that Christians in particular should not be able to make any contribution to formation of public policy. In in Victoria, for example, as we know, the voluntary euthanasia bill uh, is going to come before the parliament 
people don't want Christ- people who are in favour of that don't want Christians speaking out, and they want Christians to be silent. What Christians have to do is to reclaim that right that they have to speak out in the name of their faith for what they believe. You made a point earlier about church leaders, and I think that sometimes, and I'm an Anglican minister, I hold the license of the Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, so I'll say that up front. Sometimes I really wonder why it is the leadership of the Anglican Church in particular uh, is so diffident about speaking out in favor of these things. We hear very little from many church leaders around the country, and I think that's a great shame. I don't know why that is. Uh, I think sometimes there's a fear of causing uh, uh, unrest or, or offending other people. or I don't know. But I think church leaders really could make a stand on this. And we see some very courageous church leaders around the country. The uh, Roman Catholic Archbishop of Hobart, uh, Julian Porteous, took a very strong stand when, when he uh, ran into trouble with the, that state's anti-discrimination commissioner some time ago. Um, so there are some very brave and courageous church leaders, but I think this is a time when church leaders do need to speak out and need to speak up. We might talk about church leaders on another day, but thank you so much to Chris from Victoria for your insights today. Let's hear from Nigel in Tasmania. Hello, Nigel. Yes, yes, Neil. Nigel, what are your thoughts on our conversation today? Um, thanks, Neil. Look, I was just wondering if uh, what Peter's thoughts were might be on regard to, and I'm probably getting a little paranoid about this, but um, the issue of uh, same-sex marriage and how much of, of that is being influenced um, on these steps that are being taken to silence the church as such, and whether it's it's to do with the lobbyists uh, in the education department, uh, in corporate business, uh, they all seem to be silencing the church, and, and, and Christians in particular. And I was wondering uh, if he thinks, Peter thinks that that's maybe something that's the, where the push is coming from within the education department, whether it's coming from the the lobbyists, the same-sex marriage lobbyists who are... Uh, Nigel, good point, because uh, we don't often draw that uh, draw the dots together here, but uh, this whole politicised homosexuality and uh, one of the symptoms of it may well be uh, as the church is uh, trying to be, you know, the uh, those secularists try to push the church off to the margins so that their uh, own agenda can be fulfilled. Uh, your response to Nigel, uh, Peter Curdy? That's a very good question, Nigel. I... I don't know whether or not um, the issue of same-sex marriage is behind what's happened in, in Queensland. It's a very complex issue, as you know, with, with a number of, of dimensions to it. Businesses get behind it because, as Alan Joyce, I've heard Alan Joyce say, you know, it is good business to, um, to, to uh, be supportive of popular social causes and it does seem that same-sex marriage is a popular social cause not just in australia but in 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 many western countries um, and there does seem to be uh, a move towards it i my guess is that uh, when the government sorts out how it's going to do it that it will come to australia and the issue for the church is is to work out how it will have to what sort of accommodation it will have to come to uh, with with the institution of same-sex marriage so society changes around us, and I think when it does so in a way that for Christians is uncomfortable, uh, although of course many Christians are in favour of same-sex marriage, but when it does so in a way that makes Christians feel uncomfortable, they have to we have to work out, we have to work around that. 
Um, I don't take a particular position on on same-sex marriage. Where I'm concerned about same-sex marriage is that if people have a religious objection to same-sex marriage, we need to ensure that they are free to, to, you know, pursue their their, their business or or, uh, um, hold the, the opinions that they do without being vilified for doing so. The, whether or not this was a factor in, in the development of policy in Queensland is something that I can't really comment on because I don't know. But I think it's an, it's an important and interesting point, Nigel. Nigel from Tasmania, did you have something more to add to your thoughts? Uh, no, that was, that was mainly it, I guess. Uh, Neil, it's just a way of, of shutting down um, the church and shutting down Christian opinion and uh, to start start from the very basic start at the school level and work your way right through to corporate level is um, is an excellent way of getting rid of opposition to something like same sex or, or the LGBT um, push. Yep, Nigel, thanks so much for your call today on twenty twenty. Let's hear another call, uh, Jonathan from Perth. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yes, hello, Jonathan. What are your thoughts? Yes, you know, obviously we are talking about the right from Second Timothy chapter three. That in the last day people will be arrogant, prideful, and if you go down the line, they say the people will have the fun of godliness, but they deny the power. These are the days we in. So we should not be surprised when even the churches, the leaders of the churches, are silent because they they don't know they don't have the power of God in them. So they know these things that are value to even the citizen. We are citizens, not just because we are Christian, but our first priority in the country, we are citizens. We should get right. Whatsoever offended us, we should speak out. Mm. Jonathan, good thoughts. Uh, some response from Peter Curti. The idea of, uh, of this sort of, you know, as you're mentioning Christian leaders not speaking out, the idea of looking good, looking religious, but denying the power of Christ uh, in, the, in the very culture that we're, uh, we're, we're planted in. Well, I think that's a very important point, Jonathan. It's a good point. Um, and I think Christians have always been under pressure in one way or another. We can go back right to the New Testament documents themselves to see that the kind of pressure that Christians had to live with and, and the persecution that they had to face. So the fact that Christians find themselves at odds with what society around them is doing or what the state is doing is nothing new and shouldn't surprise us. What we do need to 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 recover i think is the confidence to respond to those uh, to those pressures and to those changes and to use them as a basis for uh, as i said earlier when talking to neil use them as a basis for regaining our confidence regaining our strength uh, and regaining our voice i think you're absolutely right to, to to make that point jonathan jonathan from perth thanks for your call let's take one more call i think uh, john is in kyneton in victoria hello john welcome along Hi, uh, Neil. Yeah, just uh, just a question. Uh, I mean, the question I would ask is because the way I see it is that they're talking about us not offending them, really. But when you think about it, they do things and they offend us. I mean, really? I mean, isn't that sort of a contradiction to their law? What a great point. I mean, Christians are offended by the idea that people might try to uh, put us in a box, shut us down, marginalise us. Your thoughts, Peter? Well, I wonder if um, there's going to be any move to stop children talking about uh, climate change, for example, in playgrounds in, in, in Queensland. What, what if a child were to express doubts about um, anthropogenic causes of 
global warming, which contravenes some of the, the almost religious orthodoxies of the day on, on climate change. What if a child were to, make a, were to make a dissenting statement on that? Would that be something that would next be stopped and, uh, and checked? I, um, I think that this is part of a broader pattern to ensure that speech conforms and, and the way we think and the way we act conforms to an ideologically conceived view of human society. And we see that in the same schools um, program in Victoria. We're seeing it, I think, in the, in the push for, to, for the introduction of voluntary euthanasia. And we're seeing it in instances like this in Queensland, where there's a certain view of society, a certain view of how we should conduct ourselves that is being imposed upon us. And Christians are under pressure to, uh, well, they're, be, they're put under pressure to keep quiet, but what they really are un- is un- under pressure now, I think, to speak out and to, to, uh, to, to voice their own concerns for themselves. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Peter Curdy, our guest, a researcher with the Centre for Independent Studies. We've been talking about the headlines in Queensland this week and discussing the idea of whether children are becoming the new battleground for free speech and religious freedom. Even though it's not in the official documents, the idea of a crackdown, that principals are expected to take action against students caught evangelising to their peers. Uh, Peter Curdy, as we talk about children, as we talk about junior evangelists, uh, the idea that six-year-olds might be evangelists, I mean, that's a pretty exciting thought, but uh, what are your thoughts about the capacity of six-year-olds to be reflecting the gospel? I think it's a very good point that you bring us to, Neil. We are talking about Aussie kids in the playground, having fun, enjoying themselves, being enthusiastic about what they've learned in class, being critical about what they've learned in class, wanting to talk about what they've learned in class with their mates. Um, the, I noticed that the de- definition of evangelism in, in, that, in the Queensland document is preaching or advocating a cause or religion with the object of making converts to Christianity. Really, is that what six-year-olds are doing if they're talking about Jesus, talking about the things that they've learned in class? Is giving somebody a Christmas card uh, which talks about the good news of Jesus really, does that really constitute an intention to make a convert? We're investing these sorts of innocent actions with an awful lot of meaning. And I don't think young kids, our youngest kids in schools, uh, can be burdened with that sort of responsibility. I don't think they would, and I say this with, with respect to our kids, I'm not even sure at that age they would know how to do it. Interesting, the difference between evangelizing and proselytizing. Uh, Evangelizing is simply uh, sharing your faith uh, with your friends, as children might do. Proselytizing is a little bit different, isn't it? Because as somebody shared with me once, it's like someone from the NRL trying to make a convert of someone in the AFL. So there's there's, there's some distinctives in the effort made to try and change the direction of someone who's already on another direction. Evangelizing doesn't have that sense about it, does it? Because evangelizing no. is simply just sharing, sharing your own thoughts about God. I think that's right. And as you were speaking there, I was just thinking, well, what about the salvos? You know, at Christmas when we see the salvos out and they are the playing, the band is playing and they have a collection and we know that the salvos do great work. Is that going to constitute evangelism? Because the salvos are doing it in the name of Christ. They may not say that up front um, 
because that's just not their style. But they're, they're, what they're doing, they're doing in the name of Christ, and they're doing in response to what they believe Christ requires them to do. Is that evangelizing? Well, I think it is in a way. I think it is about spreading the good news. It's about talking about the, the importance of Jesus and the place of Jesus. I don't think that... Um, is, could be considered offensive behavior at all. But you're right, I think, that is, there's an important distinction between evangelism and proselytizing. And in the definition put forward by the Queensland Department of Education, they've run those two things together. Uh, you know, a child, we can imagine a child wanting to talk about Jesus. Does that mean it's trying to, that the child is trying to convert the person they're talking to? I don't know. Well, I don't think so. As we draw this conversation to a close, important, I imagine, to reinforce the idea that what we have been reading on the headlines about what's happening in schools in Queensland and uh, reflecting on what's going on in Victoria, uh, similar sorts of issues going on in other states too, like New South Wales, there is an attack on Christianity, there is an attack on this freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and it needs to be resisted. Uh, Just a, a quick response from you, Peter, on the idea of resisting and taking some action, standing up, being courageous, making your voice heard. I think it's going to be unrealistic for Christians to ever expect that in any society, no one will ever say anything critical of Christianity. That's just not going to happen, and we're always going to face that criticism. What is important is how we respond to it. Are we confident enough in our faith to talk about our Christianity, to talk about our faith, and how, how and why we live by it? Are we confident enough to challenge critics? Are we confident enough to set out what we believe and why? Unless we are, we will find, I think, that it'll be harder and harder for us to counter uh, criticism, to counter attacks on Christianity, which, as I said, are part and parcel in many ways of, of Christian and indeed religious life. We have to be informed about our faith. We have to be confident, and we have to stand our ground. We are citizens. We are entitled to speak our mind. We are entitled to express um, uh, our views in, under freedom of speech provisions and freedom of religion provisions. We need to be prepared to do that. If we do nothing, then we will lose the, they will, we will lose the day. Peter Curdy, valuable insights today and on a very important issue, and not just for people in the state of Queensland, but for people all over this wonderful nation of ours. Uh, we have some wonderful things to stand up for as Christian believers, and uh, we don't want to see the freedoms that we do have eroded. In fact, we want to see those freedoms increase. Uh, Peter Curdy is Research Fellow at the Centre for Independent Studies, and there is a website which I'll point listeners to, C. CIS, that stands for Centre for Independent Studies, cis.org.au. You might find some good resources there and uh, some articles, uh, resources that Peter himself has written and others who are connected with the CIS. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for taking time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. It's been a great pleasure, Neil. Many thanks. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.